welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Amen. As we go through uh, this book of Hebrews, we're going through a new book. We're talking about anchored, how to be secure in a drifting world. How to be secure in a drifting world. Before I pray, one of the things that as a pastor, I've always wanted to make sure that you have is a balanced diet. It's not enough for you to have topics, right? Topics, it's not enough for you to have felt needs. Those are different parts of what it means to be shepherded. Current events, those things are great. Um, but we also have to teach doctrine. Amen. 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 And that's how, that's how you, you learn it, it, it. You know, sometimes it's hard to hear the doctor when he's telling you all of these technical things, but you better pay attention because it's about your health. Um, that's the same way it is at times with doctrine. And then we have to go through books. So the way we do around here, for those of you who are new, who are here, we, we try to have a full body diet around here. So it's not a bunch of spithy topics all the time. You know, it, 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 you know it, it, this is serious. Somebody say serious. So it's topical, it's current events, it's felt needs, it's doctrine, and it's books of the Bible. Uh, now we're back in the book of the Bible. Anchored, how to be secured in a drifting world. Father, we are living in interesting times, and um, I know that you have witnesses here. I know that you have witnesses out here, and I'm praying... Lord God, that as the culture drifts, your people don't. Lord God, and I pray that your people would see, uh, like I don't hear, Lord, people talk about being sold out for you anymore. Um, I don't don't remember the last time I've heard a person say, I'm so sold out for him. Um, I'm running after him hard, Lord God. Will that become normal again? Um, will, Will running after you become a norm We're letting go of things that don't work and aren't from you and for you and through you. Well, we we, we begin to want to lay down whatever you would say, but also grab and take up what you say. So let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody with that said, you may be seated, anchored, how to be secure in a drifting world. It's interesting to me that um, we live in a world of where, where there's a lot of apostasy. Apostasy means falling away from the faith. Um, but there's a lot of questioning and skepticism. And so it's, it's really popular now uh, for people uh, to kind of walk away from Christianity or people who say they were Christians to not be Christian. I mean, if today, like if after this service, I literally went in my office, I went home and pulled out my phone and pulled up my Instagram uh, live, my, I don't even know if the uh, people use the other one, the live, I forgot the one that was working a few years ago. I don't see nobody on it anymore. But, 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 but we go to Instagram live and we go to all of the different live. And I went on and I did a video saying I am leaving pastoring and Christianity because it's all a hoax. And everybody on the internet, I'm telling you, it will be 10 billion views, 9 billion shares, a trillion likes. I mean, I don't even know if 
if Facebook has the like numbers to even have, all they got is the K, they ain't, I don't, and the M, I don't even know if they got the, the zillions and the billions on there yet, right? But what's interesting, though, is if I posted about walking with Jesus, it'd get two likes. Because it's popular to be a skeptic. And, and, and the sad part about it, many of us as Christians, we, we, we fall into the cynical disposition that people have towards the church, which is super corny to me. Because the people that's supposed to be representatives of the great God through the great kingdom, through the great community, are just as skeptical, as just as flighty, as just as funky as the people in the world. But I wish I had about 23 people under the sound of my voice that would be advocates of the theocratic rule. I wish I had just a few people who says, I don't know what you say, I don't know what you think, but I greet you in the name of his imperial majesty, his holiness, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was and who is to come. I pray that, I wonder if I had two people that will begin in their soul to popularize the reality that God is good and his mercy endures forever and that the church is his representative. They're not the brunt of every joke. They're not the frustrating thing in the world, but we are ambassadors. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We need that old school disposition. He ain't telling you get rid of being fly. He's just saying don't let fly in the, get in the way of him. It, it's, it's just a reality that I, I don't see nobody dying no more. I don't see no cross carriers no more. That's because we're drifting. And we're, we're afraid to represent. And I know some of you are in context where you, you're trying to figure out how to not, like, let, your, let you being a Christian, because some, some context you say you're a Christian, it's just offensive. You ain't even done nothing. You ain't said your views on nothing. They, they just, ugh, you know, uh, 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 because in their mind, Christianity has, it's two things. We've done bad at branding the faith. And, and, and number two, the devil just don't like us. And so, and, so, and so it's both and. And so I know some of you are trying to walk. How do I live in this pluralistic, abstract, kind of inclusivistic world, this existential world, and, 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 and not lose my faith but not lose my job? And so, and so, and so, and so as we look, this book, Ain't written to people. We ain't, this ain't the first time Christians been in this situation. We, we, it's, it's like we're not, listen, we might live in a more technologically advanced world, but as far as the issues, there's nothing new under the sun. When, when, it, when it comes to struggling with what you'll lose if you represent Christ or tucking your Christianity in in order that you may advance, it's nothing new. And the Christians in the book of Hebrews was dealing with the exact same thing. Should I tuck in my Christianity or should I tell them about my Christ? What should I do? Should I, should, 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 should I cobble under the pressure or should I communicate his excellencies? Uh, uh, should I go left or should I lift him up? Everybody is dealing with the reality of what in the world do I do? Well, I tell you, it's non-negotiable. You got to represent him. 
you got to be wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove. But tracking back and retracting back can't be your disposition because if you deny him on earth, he'll deny you in heaven. But if you lift him up on earth, he'll lift you up in heaven. So what's, why, why the book of Hebrews anchored how to, be, how, to be secure, how to be secure in a drifting culture? Well, the book of Hebrews is mainly about three things, three, three big things. Number one, the first thing that Hebrews is about is the fact that Jesus is better. <laughs> Your life is about learning how gooder Jesus can get. I made that up. But it just make it sound good. How much gooder can Jesus be in your life? It's improper English, but it's good for glorification. In other words, the, the, the writer is trying to constantly prove to Christians who are drifting, that what you're drifting towards can't match the one who saved you. That's a tough thing, right? Number two, it's also not only about him being better, but he brings better with him. In other, in other, in other words, in other words it, 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 what, 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 what he loves to do is he, he brings better with him. It's like that family member that when they come over, you know they're coming with some stuff. They come up with all kinds of trinkets and gifts and lovely things that are to be enjoyable. Jesus Christ is our elder brother, that family member, that when he comes into your life and he saves you, he brings better than what you ever got in your life before. But, but, but the issue is you have to know that and you have to believe that because he wants you to experience that. Stay with me while I introduce it. Last thing that the book is about it's an encouragement for believers not to drift. It's an encouragement. It's some heavy warnings in the book where he's warning Christians about drifting. I like the way it says in Ephesians, being tossed to and fro by every wind and doctrine. Right, 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 right. So, so, so there's, a, there's a sense where we aren't supposed to be drifting. So what do we mean by that? Jesus being better. How, what does drifting have to do with Jesus being better? It's very much related. Jesus being better is the focal point of not drifting. If he's better than anything, then there's nothing. Listen, when you have, not, this, this is a difference. You're already secure in Jesus because of what he did. But do you have security in your security in Jesus? Right? And so, and, so, and so we're supposed to be going that the rest of the writer of Hebrews is trying to re really frame for us this. But the issue, the question is, why do believers fall away from the faith? Why? Why do believers fall away from the faith? Why, do the, why, why, why were these believers falling away? Mainly because of persecution. Now, our persecution in the West hasn't become physical yet, but it is verbal. Uh, and it is also ideological. And so, 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 so the reality is when, 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 when you, that's why I don't, I, it's funny. When I go somewhere and I'm talking to someone and they, they always say, you know, men in men conversation, what do you do for a living? You know, I usually, I'm trying to weigh what I'm going to tell them. So I'll tell them I'm a writer and a speaker. And I'm hoping it stops there because I'm like, just, let's keep it there. So what do you write about? So I'm like, how am I going to say this? So I, I write about issues of the soul and eternal help. It's not self-help, but eternal help. Mm. So they get intrigued, really, really intrigued. Then they say, so what do you speak about? I'm just like, okay, I'm a pastor. <laughs> 
Then all of a sudden the room gets quiet. He's a, he's a pastor. When I was a speaker, they were interested. Eternal help, you know. And some of them I keep it going and draw them around with lassoing them in to the gospel. Come on close. Come on close, right? Uh, uh, um, um, but it's interesting uh, uh, that, that, that as we look at this reality of persecution and verbal persecution, what it can cause, is, cause you to do is quiet your witness. Now, what's interesting uh, Y'all with me on this introduction, right? Let, let me just introduce it. So Barna did a study. It's interesting. He says, according to uh, a, a, study, a research study by the Barna Group, less than 1% of young adults in the United States have a biblical worldview. Wow. Less than 1% of young adults. Why is that an important statistic? Because a biblical worldview is this. Let me tell you what a biblical worldview is. This is how I define it. Throw that up there for me. We're going to keep using this. A Christian worldview is a grid that people who know Jesus Christ are to develop from the Bible. From the Bible, not experience. From the Bible, not essence. From the Bible, not the breakfast club. From the Bible, not red pill, blue pill. Uh-oh, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. From the Bible. That, that means you, you every, the Bible is written well enough to inform you on everything. At least in principle, right? On the Bible, on how they look at, interact with, and understand God, people, life, and decision-making, right? So, so, so if, if you have a biblical worldview, but, but the Barna Group defines a biblical worldview as these things. Absolute, uh, absolute truth exists. Absolute moral truth exists. The Bible is completely inerrant. Satan is real, is a real being, not symbolic. A person cannot earn their way into the kingdom of God through good works. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on earth, and God is the supreme creator of the heavens and the earth and reigns over the whole universe today. How many of you believe that? But what's interesting is a lot of people who say they're falling away from the faith say they're falling away from the faith because of something intellectual, like Jesus didn't exist. The Bible's been tampered with. Christianity's the white man's religion. But when you go behind the curtain of their cotton communication, really, it's, it's moral, not intellectual, which meaning... I want to do what I want to do, and I got some wild things on my mind that I want to do, but what I'm going to use is I'm going to blame Christianity, not my desire. So keep it a buck. Keep it a buck. You want to get in these streets. Don't try to get online. Oh, I was, one day I was reading, and I found out that Christianity came from Egypt and Imhotep and... Uh, I've never seen people leave Jesus and get morally better. Never. Never. Like we all, I keep it real. No, you ain't keeping it real. You keep it a buck. Just saying, listen, I don't like the way Jesus wants to lord it over my life. And he, that lord word is a four-letter curse word to me. So I don't like it. I want to get mine in the street. I want to wild out. I want to be my own God. Peace. Keep it a buck, family. And so when we look at the reality 
of our lives, we need a book like Hebrews. It's, 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 it's certain parts of it is scary. I like it. Because you, you need to be scared sometimes. You, you need to be wondering. You need to wonder about where your soul is. First Corinthians says, the last chapter says, check yourselves to see if you're in the faith. I like the way first, second Peter chapter one says, let's make every effort to make your calling and election sure. In other words, are you saved or did you just grow up in a church? Are you saved or you just come to Sunday morning? Are you saved or do you just like the music? Are you saved or do you just like the messages? Are you saved but you just like the fellowship? The question is, do you really know him? And we have to recognize that many of us need to take the time to ask ourselves, am I his? And so Hebrews gives you a little bit of a godly scare, a holy scare. And the only way it can be gotten rid of is through the perfect love that casts out all fear. So I'm, I'm, I, got, I got to get in. One, one point, one point only. One point, one point only. Jesus is more than you think. Jesus <laughs> is more than what you think. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. Love this. Love this because what he's talking about is revelation. Somebody say revelation. revelation. It, the, the fundamental way when we talk about revelation is talking about unveiling something that was previously concealed. In, in, other, in other words, God used dictation. Moses, write this down. Sometime, one time God used his own finger to write it himself. He give you a vision like Ezekiel. You see a colorful realm looking like something off of the avatar. It's taking him into a realm to see all different types of things that symbolize something. And then he has to wake up, remember it, and write it down. You got dreams like Joseph getting dreams. You, 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 got, you got inspired history. God wasn't channeling the Holy Spirit through the writers. He superintended their writing. In other words, he didn't take away the experience, their creativity, their artistic expression. Actually, he used their artistic expression, their capability, their writing ability, and their vernacular as a means to superintend overseeing the writing of scripture while still remaining in control as they were being creative. I love it. I love it. Yes, it was written by man, but under the superintending of the Holy Spirit. People trip me out. That, I can't believe that. It was written by man. When you read the newspaper... You look at a video, and it's some old conspiracy. See, I knew it. I knew it. And you'll live your life communicating a conspiracy you have never seen, you have never communicated, and you've never researched. It's just something in, oh, stupid human beings of ours, that we just will not believe the living God, but we will believe some old left sideshow that the devil can bring up in our lives. Let me tell you something. There's a difference between revelation and illumination. 
Revelation is the word. Illumination is your understanding of it. But one of the key ways you have to be careful from drifting from is when there's proper revelation, but there's bad illumination. Ah. Illumination is explanation of the revelation. But if the explanation based on the illumination is not submitted to the revelation, it can lead to devastation. So you can drift into another form of spirituality. Oh, help me today. I'm getting ahead of myself today. But, 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 I, but I want us to understand how diverse and beautiful our God is in making sure that he revealed himself so intricately to us from Genesis to Revelation. It's beautiful. God used narrative. He's creative. He used poets, songs, letters, prophecy, and parables. And so, 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 so it says, in the former time, he spoke to our ancestors and the prophets. But then it says, in these last days, he has spoken, he has spoken by his son. I love this. Now, what's the last days? The last days evidently represents the days in which God's saving promises are fulfilled. That's amazing. So from the point of Jesus' birth to his death and resurrection is the inauguration of the last days. The last days point to when God, the thing, the promises of God from old are beginning to heftily be revealed practically in the history of humanity. And so that's very, very important. So last days, because I heard somebody from the country community say, y'all been saying it's the last days for 2,000 years. And so we don't believe he's coming back because it's like, no, last days means the fulfillment of the promises in these days based on the former days. This, this, that's, that's a very important definition that sets it, in, sets it in juxtaposition to it. I like the way Peter says it in, in, in Acts. They, and you got to watch the chosen when they got the Holy Spirit. Boy, that thing was wild. It, it, the Holy Spirit, they were in the upper room praying. They were going in. I like that kind of prayer, spontaneous, fervent prayer. They was like, Lord, I bless your God. Hallelujah, God. Then all of a sudden, you, you heard from heaven. Hit the room, and then they said they started speaking in other languages. Gloria Dios, all kind of languages, lifting up the name of the Lord Shema Yisrael. The Lord, it's just going crazy, and then all of a sudden, the people downstairs was like coming around. I hear some in my language, and they came, they came around, and, 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 and Peter and Peter heard them talking about. They drunk, they hide in the mug. See, I knew I meant mess with them Christians. They in the upper room getting nice, right? And and Peter comes out, and he says no. We're not getting drunk, but this is for what the prophet Joel said, that in the last days, many will prophesy, and I will pour out my spirit, and your uh, young men will dream dreams, and your women will have it, and it goes through all of this stuff, right, to talk about the beauty of the last days. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 says, in later times, many will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of lies, seared in their own conscience as a branding iron. Second Timothy chapter 3 says, in later times, uh, people will uh, uh, be lovers of self. In chapter 4, it says, in later times, the spirit says that many will want to have itching ears, accumulate themselves, teachers in accordance with their own desires. In other words, when we look at the idea of the characteristics of the last days, I hope y'all trekking with me, there's a progressive resistance to Christian Christian our faith. It's going to be a progressive resistance, and it's only going to get worse. Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you, fam. So listen, you're, you're not going to do anything to make Christianity likable to a person that's determined to resist it. 
Stay with me. Stay with me. Number two, not only is it resistant to the there's a resistance to the Christian faith, but there are also people falling away from the faith, even people you never expected to. You say, how? And you, you, uh, I, 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 I've seen some people fall away from the faith uh, recently, and they say, how do you explain that? I say, have you read Hebrews? Have you read Revelation? Have you read, not Revelations, Revelation. It's one Revelation. Um, uh, have you read Matthew 24 through 25? Have you read 2 Peter chapter 3? Have you read 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John? Have, have, have you read the book of Galatians in chapter 1? Have, have you read the Bible? <laughs> it's in there. Then we will enter weird times. My mama used to say, you know, my mama, they, you know, when they, I don't know what happens when, when my family get old. I don't know if it's your family because I don't want to make nobody. But my family, when they get old, they love, they love the news and court shows. <laughs> I don't know what it is that they just love. <laughs> they love the news. I mean, see, I see hey, these Negroes out here. Look at them. Killing everybody. Look at it. Look at it. Out there. Come here. Come here. Sit right here. Sit your butt right. Look at it. 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 And I'm just like, oh my God. How do y'all watch this toxic stuff? Divorce court. I'm like, this is toxic. But what my mama would do, she said, you know what's going on, don't you? I said, what, mama? It's the last days. Anything bad happened in the world, they just say, it's the last days. And you know what they write. But the question is, <laughs> the question is, how do we respond in the last days? Titus chapter 2, verse 12, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust. Lust in the Bible isn't just sexual. It's passions that are substandard of applying your passions where God has given you a freedom outlet. That was good. In other words, if God, God, God isn't squelching the passions, he's just squelching where you deliver them. So he says, denying godlessness and worldly lust and to live like you got some sense. That's the Eric Mason translation. <laughs> live like you got some sense, Christians. Live sensibly, righteously, and godly way in the present age. What's the present age? The last days that we are in. So he says... <coughs> The verse says in the last days, he has spoken in his son. But some of us don't believe that he's spoken in his son. There are ordained ways that God has ordained that are legitimate ways that the son speaks. And there are illegitimate ways that the son doesn't speak. But many of us, help me today, God, are seeking mechanisms that aren't ordained outlets because God doesn't talk fast enough. In, in, in other words... <laughs> See, the devil always moves fast to give you, but he never unveils how much bondage is around that fast cash. He's like going to the loan shark. He's going to give you the money, but don't let you know the interest. Oh, help me today. So some of us, what are some of the false forms of information that even Christians use? Horoscope. Talking about I'm a, I'm a Sagittarius, and you know how Sagittarius act in this situation. When a Sagittarius, oh, I'm a Gemini, I'm, I'm double people, I'm twins, so I'm two different types of people, and all of that kind of kind of. You know, I'm a scorpion, so I'm not compatible with them. You know, I'm not compatible. Scorpions aren't compatible with them. And I'm just like, man, if you don't get out of the, man, listen, listen, how, how 
does a horoscope tell you who your identity is? And can somebody say, I'm not attracted. We're we not going to have chemistry because of the horoscope. Where is chemistry in the Bible? The Bible says the two shall become one, meaning it ain't natural. All that stuff is for you to pre-lie to each other in the dating process. Y'all, y'all just a, we, just, we all just a bunch of liars! And see, it, say, it says here, says here, says here, that scorpions and this one get together along. So, every, so the, the, it aligning up and all of this foolishness, but you don't realize that it takes the Holy Ghost to have a good marriage. Listen, I've seen people with good chemistry that got a divorce. Chemistry don't keep you. Christ has to keep you. Some of some horoscope. Yeah, it is horror. <laughs> then they talking about a medium, a medium. I'm going to go to the palm reader house. Oh, oh. But you don't know that as soon as you walk out of there, something holding on to your cloak. So I'm going home with you. We're going to have a good time, you stupid Christian. I'm going to tear your house up. God gives you revelation without consequences. Ah, tarot cards. I'm going to get in there flipped over and all. I'm just going to the part. Listen, if you go to part anything, tarot cards in there, um, listen. Pick up your drink and go. <laughs> hey, hey, I don't play. Listen, I don't play. Listen, when I was in college, let me tell you something. Go, I, I, was, I was out and chilling at the cab. I came back. It was 30 people in my room. I'm like, what are they doing? Rolling? I think they have a dice game. You know, I, was, I wouldn't say so. I was like, let me get up in on this joint. Let me get my... And I went in there, and it was a Ouija board in the middle. <laughs> something about Captain somebody talking. And Martin wasn't even out. But I said, everybody, get the stepping. Get the stepping. Listen. <laughs> I wasn't even no Christian. I just, I, and I knew God would draw me in. And it just didn't feel right. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to pray to get it off the right. I didn't know to get some oil. I didn't know. I just opened my Bible. I thought it was a relic. You know, when you're not saved, you just think, if I just open the Bible to Psalm 23, some incantations going to come out the Bible and squat the devil. <laughs> oh, Lord, help us today. But that's where I was, y'all. Don't laugh at me. <coughs> The next one, the Enneagram. Ouch, ouch. The Enneagram is a pentagram that's used the points to give you personality. Somebody said, well, etymology doesn't always mean something demonic if it comes from pagan origins, but even science says it doesn't work scientifically. And so, 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 so quit trying to find out about yourself without Jesus. We want to know who we are in everything. I'm an entrepreneurial type. I'm an artsy. Like, bro. <laughs> Channeling spirits is another one. Let me, let me tell you what I mean. You know, I don't know if you, you grew up in the type of family I grew up in. I had, I, my family is Trinidad, 
Gullah, the Gullah people, the Geechee Gullah people off the coast of South Carolina, and Southern people. So I got Angolans and Nigerians. That's my family. So you feel me? Like my family, we grew up Christian. You know, Christian. I grew up in a Christian house, kind of. But but we be doing some weird syncretistic stuff, right? Right. It, it be some it be some weird stuff. So my dad would be telling me, we down in the south, man. When when I was a kid, it used to be the jack o' lantern going around in the forest, and the closer you get to the light, it would just keep going away from it, but it wasn't a person connected to it. Now, I'm nine. <laughs> we ain't in the city. You understand? No street lights out this mug. You driving a car, you look behind you, it's sp space. <laughs> out of space, galaxy, no stars. <laughs> then my uncle, my uncle talking about, don't go in the back room, your Aunt Willa May back there. <laughs> I'm looking around like, who? Yeah, he said, I'm with a May back there. I, I, I said, I'm with a May been dead for 10 years. But there was a belief that that familiar spirit was actually her presence. I've had to tell family members, all, and some of the stuff, we, we have to be careful. I asked them questions, and she responded. I'm like, you better stop playing with them crazy open doors. So how does God reveal himself? He doesn't reveal himself. Reveal, Christ, Christ says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you find eternal life, but they all speak of me. In other words, wherever you go in the Bible, look for me in context of that. I'm going to give you all a little bit of schooling. Can I do it real quick? Uh, the first way to, to reveal Christ in the Bible is redemptive history. Redemptive history is the progressive links to Christ in the Old Testament, redemptive events to find their climax ultimately in him. It's like when, when Joseph, when Joseph, when Joseph's dad died, when, when Jacob died, and his brothers was like, hey, man, we need to roll. Joseph going to kill us. He going to kill us because he was just holding back because dad wasn't alive. But now that dad is gone, he going to kill us. And, and, and he said, he heard him. He said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. What did he mean by that? In other words, he said, even though you did what you did to me, to sell me into slavery to Egypt, God took me through a lot and raised me up. And now I was able, God caused a famine in your land to bring you out of, out of there to be preserved. So God used me as a way to preserve you from death. Even though you did me dirty, I'm not going to use my authority to destroy you. I'm going to use my authority to redeem you. That's called redemptive history, and it sounds mighty familiar. Because Jesus Christ is the one ultimately in authority. And we're the ones that ultimately put him on the cross. But he didn't use his authority to put us in hell. He used his authority to get on them nails and go on a cross and get up from the grave so that we can try that's redemptive history pictures of Jesus pictures of God's redemptive work that points us ultimately to Jesus promise and fulfillment is another one promise and fulfillment the Bible promises something then it fulfills it one of my favorite is we were wound he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes what does that point to the cross it was written in Isaiah 53 uh, a, a, a thousand years before this but it ended up getting fulfilled later uh, I, I like the but but it's not only those promises that are his meta-narrative, it's also his micro-narrative in his life. That means you can grab hold of his promises and his redemptive actions in your history, in your life. For instance, he gives strength to the weary. He will give you rest. He makes you new. Uh, he affirms you are his. He will fight your battles. 
He'll give enduring wisdom in trials. He will cause the devil to flee when you resist him. He will forgive your sins. He exalts and gives grace to the humble. If he sets you free, you are free indeed. All things work together for the good of those who are his and are called according to his purpose. And one of the best ones I like is that he's coming back. There's some promises for us to hold on to. Typology. Typology is a picture of him in a person or a thing that ultimately points to Jesus. Moses and David. We also have comparison contrast, which we'll see through the earlier part of this book. But we see all of these beautiful things. And it says, next, he appointed him heir of all things. <laughs> That's beautiful. Now, this is very simple. What does it mean to appoint somebody heir? Think about it. If you're leaving someone something, that means you believe that they can handle everything you're leaving them. It's deep. Now, if God appointed Jesus the heir of all things, that means what God the Father can handle, he can handle, which makes him God. Now, it's going to tell us, you, you missed a big shouting moment right there. Uh, uh, in, in other words, uh, um, uh, um, um, when we look at the reality of this, is that Jesus Christ can handle all things, but it's going to talk about what it looks like for him to handle all things. It says, the, the, made the universe through him. In other words, the universe, Jesus was the manufacturing plant to create the universe. Okay, yeah, that ain't shout you yet. Let me, let me see if I can explain. Um, 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 I, I like watching those how it was made videos. You know, and I took my kids one time to the Hearst factory. And so the Hearst factory, you can go through and the Hearst chips and they show you how the chips, the, the, the potatoes are skinned and how the potatoes are sliced and how they're put through this mechanism to make the potato chips a particular way before they, uh, they dehydrate them a little bit, before they put them in the oil, they get fried in the oil, they drain off the oil, then they disperse and go to different spots so that they can be seasoned based on their different flavors and then they're bagged and sealed and then they're ready to go. That's how that manufacturing plant goes. But the way God manufactured through Christ was different. Um, when God said, let there be light, the word went and caused light to come into existence. In other words, it, his manufacturing process is pretty quick. When he says separate the expanse from this, it, he, the sun went and did it. Oh, help me, to get, help, help, help me today. And, 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 in, other, in other words, whatever the father said do, the son was the manufacturer of what was being done. And so when he said, let, let us make man in our likeness and our image, he made himself look human even though he hadn't got a body yet. And he kneeled down in the dust and he went and got man out of the dust and he shaped man because what is he? He is the word. The only thing he took time to create and he didn't speak into existence was us. In other words, let me tell you something. We have the greatest manufacturer in the universe. But what's beautiful about him is the Bible just starts talking real fly about him. It says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory. Uh, the, the, the word there, glory, is doxa, but it comes from the Hebrew word kabod. The Hebrew word kabod means to be heavy or weighty with great value. So if he's the radiance of God's glory, that means he's the ultraviolet rays of the shininess of God's glory if compared to the sun. In other words, his glory has the same effect. In other words, the rays of the sun have the same essence and content as the sun, but as it moves, it doesn't give the fullness of the sun's heat. It comes with the same energy to do the power of what the sun is supposed to do. So Jesus is the effect 
effulgence, one uh, commentator say, of, of, of the Father. In other, in other, in other words, Jesus, I, I'm trying to come up with words to describe how big he is, but sometimes when you look at his essence, sometimes when you look at his glory, it's nothing in the human language or the poetic dialect that can actually fully explain his glorious excellencies. <laughs> Then he calls us to be reflectors of his glory and energized by it. We are solar panels called to absorb his light for energy for life. <laughs> the Bible says he's the exact expression of the father's nature. It gets harder here, y'all. In other words, him and the father have the same substance. In other words, what makes God God, Jesus is. What makes humanity humanity, Jesus is without sin. That's why it says he existed in the form of God. The Greek word there is morphe, which means essence. He said he existed in, he became in the likeness of a servant, morphe, essence, 100% God, 100% man, in one person, unmixed for eternity. That's called the hypostatic union. 100% God, 100% man, two natures unmixed in one person because his deity can't mix with his humanity or he'd be a demigod. His, help me today. If, if his humanity mixed with his deity, uh, it would be corroded. Therefore, some way, God created a static body that can both contain the essence of God but only be a tabernacle because if he stuffed all that power in one body, it would bust open. I told y'all, I'm trying to explain it. Let me see, he's the, he's the same essence. He's the same essence. Let me see if I can understand. So, so, so when, I go to the, when I go to the pharmacy, they tell me, do you want generic or regular? I said, which one cheaper? <laughs> they said, the generic. I said, is it worse than it? They said, no. It has the same contents and ingredients, just in different packaging. I'm trying. But God the Father is in his eternal non-corporealism. Corporealism means he doesn't have a body. But the son has a body, but all of the essence of both of them can't fit in there. But they still have the same ingredients. Both of them are mercy. Both of them are grace. Both of them are omniscient. Both of them are omnipresent. Both of them are omniscient. Both of them are gracious. Both of them are loving. Both of them are holy. Both of them are glorious. But they're two different persons. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. But then it says he sustains all things by his powerful word. <clears throat> he is the word. <clears throat> Let me see if I can make it plain. <clears throat> Him sustaining everything means he holds Everything together, even on its molecular structure. Even if you take uh, the neutrons and protons and the nucleus, he's holding it together. That don't get you. Um, that, that don't get you. So let me see if I can make it plain to show you how powerful Jesus is. I'm trying, y'all. I'm trying to preach. Um, the earth spins generally at 1,000 miles per hour. Around the equator, it spins at 1,037 miles per hour. And both of those speeds have to be maintained 
or there'd be trouble. Now, I looked up and I said, what if the earth just went a little faster? It said time would decrease. The earth's crust would shift. The poles would flatten. The equators would bulge and hurricanes would get stronger. I said, what if it got slower? Days and nights would be longer. Days would be hotter. Nights colder. Rocks and oceans would trigger earthquakes. Then I asked the last question. I said, what would happen if it stopped rotating? If it stopped rotating, everything would die and be flung off the planet. So Jesus Christ literally has his foot in cruise control. Because if he takes his foot off of the speed of this celestial ball, some bad stuff will happen. But that didn't get me, y'all. What got me is making the earth go at 1,000 miles per hour on its edges and 1,037 miles per hour. He's not only doing that. He's controlling the seasons. He's controlling the currents. He's controlling the solar system. He's controlling the Milky Way galaxy. He's controlling the universe and all of its alternate galaxies. In other words, he's holding everything together. And what's so crazy about it is he's able to have the earth spin at the right speed and he can still look at his fingernails and do it. He's not like Heimdall off of Thor. He doesn't look at one direction and only see what's going on. Jesus is, has omnivision. Oh. In other words, he can close his eyes right next to the Father. And because he's God, he can still see everything at the same time. He can see what time you woke up this morning. He can see how your heart is beating. He can see how many breaths you're taking. He can see where your foots are cracking. He can see your varicose veins. He knows the flow of all your blood. He knows all the hairs on your head. He can close his eyes and still see the blades of the wind. He can close his eyes and still see the lion going to get the, the, the antelope. He can see everything at the same time. Listen, he can close his eyes and know how many times you blink. He can close his eyes. Know what he's doing? And he's sustaining you. And it doesn't take him much to hold your crazy in place. Ain't that good? Ain't it good? And this is what I like. I'm done. This is what I like. I said, after making purifications for sins, this so fly, he walked into heaven. Can you imagine when Jesus walked into heaven? He was on the cloud. The cloud took him up. And when it got off, the cloud stopped. And he walked off and he, his robe automatically came on. And he did like this, like, like, like on that movie where the, where, the, where the witch did like this. And her crown just appeared. And then Jesus, before he got on his throne, he threw his thing back. And he sat down at God the Father. And God the Father, non-corporally, gave him a high five. Good job, son. Because guess what he did? He made purification of sins. And he went into the holiest of holy as the first high priest who don't have to have a string tied behind his waist because he might die. But he, he, he didn't come in there once a year. He brushed himself off and sat down at the right hand of the Father forever. But you didn't know that that's not just a general seat. For him being a priest, he's also king. And because he's king... 
he's sitting and reigning over the universe. And it points to him being sovereign over the world. It means that the fact that he is king and he's looking over his kingdom to see what's going on and there's nothing under his eye gaze that he does not see and that wants to rule and will rule. And lastly, it says, so he became superior to the angels and his humanity. It says when he came to heaven and he was walking to that throne, everybody did like this when he entered heaven and they bowed their faces to the ground and he walked through their midst and the father welcomed him to his throne where he will be eternally until one day when the father nudges him and he jumps on his horse and he throws up his leg and he has a tattoo on his name. On his leg, it's written there, it's a tattoo. Jesus has a tattoo. And it says that only him and the Father knows the name. And then he'll snap his fingers. And all of a sudden, all of the heavenly hosts and those who are dead will come up behind him and they will mount their horses. And everything will open up and Jesus will come back and he'll point to the four winds. And the angels will, the angels will start flanking around him on their horses and standing there while he's in the middle. He'll dismount his horse and he'll stand on the Mount of Olives. And it will split from east to west. And the books will come down uh, like, like, like all the hard drives of time and eternity will be open and he will judge the world. Who in their right mind wants to drift away from the superstar of the universe? That's who we serve. We serve the greatest of all. We serve the master of the universe. Let me tell you something. There's nothing better in this world for you than Jesus Christ. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder of Pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual emphasis.